One evening, Rabi, Rabia, she was a famous Sufi mystic, was searching for something on the street in front of her small hut. The sun was setting slowly, slowly. Darkness was descending. A few people gathered. They asked her, What are you doing? What have you lost? What are you searching for? She said, I've lost my needle. The people said, Now the sun is setting and it will be very difficult to find the needle, but we will help you. Where exactly has it fallen? Because the road is big and needle is so small, if we know the exact place, it will be easier to find it. Rabia said, It is better not to ask me that question because, in fact, it has not fallen on the road at all. It has fallen inside my house. The people started laughing and they said, We always thought that you are a little insane. If the needle has fallen inside the house, then why are you searching on the road? Rivia said, For a simple logical reason. Inside their house, there is no light, and on the outside, a little light is still there. The people laughed and started dispersing. Ribia called them back and said, Listen, that's exactly what you're doing. I was just following your example. You go on seeking bliss in the outside world without asking the first and primary question, where have you lost it? And I tell you, you have lost it inside. You're looking for it on the outside for the simple logical reason that your sense open outward. There is a little more light. Your eyes look outward, your ears hear outward, your hands reach outward. That's the reason why you are searching outside. Otherwise, I tell you, you have not lost it there. And I tell you, on my own authority, I have also searched on the outside for many, many lives. And the day I looked in, I was surprised. There was no need to seek and search. It has always been within. Bliss is your innermost core, pleasure you have to beg from others. Naturally, you become dependent. Bliss makes you a master. Bliss is not something that happens, it is already the case. Buddha says, There is pleasure and there is bliss. Forgo the first to possess the second. Stop looking on the outside. Look within. Turn in. Start seeking and searching in your own interiority. Your own subjectivity. Bliss is not an object to be found anywhere else. It is your consciousness. In the East, we have always defined the ultimate truth as Satchit Anand. Sat means truth.
Chit means consciousness. Anand means bliss. There are three faces of the same reality. This is the true trinity, not God, the Father, the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost. That is not the true trinity. The true trinity is truth, consciousness, bliss. And they are not separate phenomena, but one energy expressed in three ways, one energy with three faces. Hence, in the East, we say God is Trimurti. Trimurti. God has three faces. These are the real faces, not Brahma, Vishnu, and Mahesh. Those are for children, for those who are spiritually, metaphysically immature. Brahma, Bhishan, and Mesha, Mahesh, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. Those names are for beginners. Truth, consciousness, bliss. These are the ultimate truths. First comes truth. As you enter, you become aware of your eternal reality. Sat, truth. As you go deeper into your reality, into your truth, you become aware of consciousness. A tremendous consciousness. All is light. Nothing is dark. All is awareness. Nothing is unawareness. You are just a flame of consciousness, not even a shadow of unconsciousness anywhere. And when you enter still deeper, then the ultimate core is bliss, Anand. Buddha says, Forgo everything that you have thought meaningful, significant up to now. Sacrifice everything for this ultimate, because this is the only thing that will make you contented, that will make you fulfilled, that will bring spring to your being, and you will blossom into the th- into a thousand and one flowers. Pleasure will keep you a dirt wood. Pleasure will make you more and more cunning. It will not give you wisdom. It will make you more and more a slave. It will not give you the kingdom of your being. It will make you more and more calculating. It will make you more and more exploitative. Exploitative. It will make you more and more political, diplomatic. You will start using people as means. That's what people are doing. The husband says to the wife, I love you. But in reality, he simply uses her. The wife says she loves the husband, but she's simply using him. The husband may be using her as a sexual object, and the wife may be using him as financial security. Pleasure makes everybody cunning, deceptive, and to be cunning 
is to miss the bliss of being innocent, is to miss the bliss of being a child. At Lockheed, a part was needed for a new airplane. An announcement was sent around the world to get the lowest bid. From Poland came a bid of $3,000. England offered to build the part for $6,000. The asking price from Israel was $9,000. Richardson, the engineer in charge of construction the new plane, decided to visit each country to find out the reason behind the disparity of the bids. In Poland, the manufacturer explained 1,000 for the material all needed, 1,000 for the labor, and 1,000 for overhead and a tiny profit. In England, Richardson inspected the part and found that it was almost as good as the Polish made one. Why are you asking 6,000? inquired the engineer. 2,000 for material, explained the Englishman. 2,000 for labor and 2,000 for expense and a small profit. In Israel, the Lockheed representative wandered through a back alley into a small shop and encountered an elderly man who had submitted the bid of $9,000. Why are you asking that much? he asked. Well, said the old Jew, 3000 for you, 3000 for me, and 3000 for the Suchmuck, uh, Schumach in Poland. Money power, prestige, they all make you cunning. Seek pleasure and you will lose your innocence. And to lose you and to lose your innocence is to lose all. Jesus says, be like a small child. Only then can you enter into the kingdom of God. And he's right, but the pleasure seeker cannot be as innocent as a child. He has to be very clever, very cunning, very critical. Only then can he succeed in the chat, in the cutthroat competition that exists all around. Everybody is at everybody else's throat. You are not living among friends. The world cannot be friendly unless we drop this idea of competitiveness. But from the very beginning, we start corrupting every child with this poison of competitiveness. By the time he becomes, by the time he comes out of the university, he will be completely poisoned. We have hypnotized him with the idea that he has to fight with others, that life is a survival of the fitness. Life is a survival of the fittest. Then life can never be a celebration. If you are happy at the expense of another man's happiness, and that is how you can be happy, there is no other way. If you find a beautiful woman and somehow manage to possess her, 
you have snatched her away from others' hands. We try to make things look as beautiful as possible, but it is only on the surface. Now, the others who have lost in the game will be angry in a rage. They will wait for their opportunity to take revenge, and sooner or later, that moment will come. Whatever you possess in this world, you possess at somebody else's expense, at the cost of somebody else's pleasure. There is no other way. If you really want not to be inimical, if you really want not to be inimical to anybody in the world, you have to drop the whole idea of possessiveness. Use whatever happens to be with you in the moment, but don't be possessive. Don't try to claim that it is yours. Nothing is yours, all belongs to existence. Empty hands. We come with empty hands and we will go with empty hands. So, what is the point of claiming so much in the meantime? But this is what we know, what the world tells us possess, dominate, have more than others have. It may be money or it may be virtue. It does not matter in what kind of coins you deal. They may be worldly. They may be otherworldly, otherworldly, but the very clever otherwise, but be, but be very clever otherwise. You'll be exploited. Exploit and don't be exploited. That is the subtle meaning. That is the subtle message given to you with your mother's milk and every school, college, university is rooted in the idea of competition. A real education will not teach you to compete. It will teach you to cooperate. It will not teach you to fight and come first. It will teach you to be creative, to be loving, to be blissful without comparing yourself to others. It will not teach you that you can be happy only when you are the first. That is sheer nonsense. You can't be happy by being first, and in trying to be first, you go through such misery that by the time you become the first, you are habituated to misery. By the time you become the president or the prime minister of a country, you have gone through such misery that now misery is your second nature. You don't know now any other way to exist. You remain miserable. Tension has become ingrained. Anxiety has become your way of life. You don't know any other way. This is your very lifestyle. So even though you have become the first, you remain cautious.
anxious, afraid. It does not change your inner quality at all. A real education will not teach you to be the first. It will tell you to enjoy whatever you are doing, not for the result, but the act itself. Just like a painter or a dancer or a musician, you can paint in two ways. You can paint to compare, you can paint to compete with other painters. You want to be the greatest painter in the world. You want to be a Picasso or a Van Gogh. Then your painting will be second rate because your mind is not interested in painting itself. It is interested in being the first, the greatest painter in the world. You are not going deep into the art of painting. You are not enjoying it. You are only using it as a stepping stone. You are on an ego trip. And the problem is that no, that to really be a painter, you have to drop the ego completely. To really be a painter, the ego has to be put aside. Only then can existence flow through you. Only then can your hands and your fingers and your brush be used as vehicles. Only then can something of superb, superb beauty be born. Only then can something of superb beauty be born. Real beauty is never created by you. But one through you, existence flows. You become only a passage. You allow it to happen. That's all. You don't hinder it. That's all. You don't hinder it. That's all. But if you are too interested in the results, the ultimate results, that you have to become famous, that you have to be the best painter in the world. That you have to defeat all other painters hitherto, then your interest is not in painting. Painting is secondary, and of course, which a secondary interest in painting, you can't paint something original, it will be ordinary. Ego cannot bring anything extraordinary. Into the world. The extraordinary comes only through egolessness. And so is the case with the musician and the poet and the dancer. So is the case with everybody. In the, Baghdad, in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, Don't think of the result at all. It is a message of. Tremendous beauty and significance and truth. Don't think of the result at all. Just do what you are doing with your totality. Get lost in it. Lose the door, lose the door in the doing. Don't be. Let your creative, let your creative energies flow unhindered. That's why. He said to Arjuna, Don't escape from the war. 
because I can see this escape is just an ego trip. The way you are talking simply shows that you are calculating, you are thinking that by escaping from the war, you will become a great saint. Rather than surrendering to the whole, you are taking yourself too seriously, as if there will be no war if you are not there. Krishna, Krishna says to Arjuna, Just be in a state of let go. Say to existence, use me, use me in whatever way you want to use me. I'm available. Unconditionally available, then whatsoever happens through you will have a great authenticity about it. It will have intensity, it will have depth, it will have the impact of the eternal on it. It will have the impact of the eternal on it. Jesus says, Remember those who are first in this world. Will be the last in the kingdom of God, and those who are the last will be the first. He has given you the fundamental law, He has given you the inexhaustible eternal law. Stop trying to be the first, but remember one thing, which is very much possible because the mind is so cunning, it can distort. Every truth. You can start trying to be the last, but then you miss the whole point. Then another competition starts. I have to be the last. And if somebody else says, I'm the last, then the struggle, the conflict begins again. I've heard a soupy parable. A great emperor, not Dersha was praying. It was early morning. The sun had not yet risen. It was still dark. Nadarsha was about to start the conquest of a new country, and of course he was praying to God for his blessings to be victorious. He was saying to God, I'm nobody, I'm just a servant. A servant of your servant. Bless me, I'm gonna on your behalf. This is your victory, but I'm nobody. Remember, I'm just a servant of your servants. A priest was also by his side, helping him in prayer, functioning as a meditator, mediator between him and God. And then suddenly, They heard another voice in the darkness. A beggar of the town was also praying, and he was saying to God, I'm nobody, a servant of your servants. The king said, Look at this beggar. He is a beggar, and saying to God that he is nobody. Stop this nonsense. Who are you to say you are nobody? I'm nobody. And nobody else can claim this. I'm the servant of God's servant. Who are you to say that? You are the servant of his servants. Now, you see, the competition is still there. The same competition, the same stupidity, 
Nothing has changed. The same calculation. I have to be the last. Nobody else can be allowed to be the last. The mind can go on playing such games on you if you're not very understanding, if you're not very intelligent. Never try to be happy at the expense of another man's happiness. That is ugly, inhuman. That is violence in the true sense. If you think you become a saint by condemning others as sinners, your saintliness is nothing but a new ego trip. If you think you are holy because you are trying to prove others unholy, that's what your holy people are doing. They go on bragging about their holiness, saintliness. Go to your so called saints and look into their eyes. They have such condemnation for you. They are saying that you are all bound for hell. They go on condemning, condemning everybody. Listen to their sermons. All their sermons are. Condemnately, and of course, you listen silently to their condemnations because you know that you have made many mistakes in your life, errors in your life, and they have condemned everything. And it is impossible to feel that you can be good. You love food, you are a sinner, you don't get up. Early in the morning, you are a sinner. You don't go to bed early in the evening, you are a sinner. They have arranged everything in such a way that it is very difficult not to be a sinner. Yes, they are not sinners. They go early to bed and get up, they get up early in the morning. In fact, they have nothing else to do. They never commit any mistakes because they never do anything. They are just sitting there almost dead. But if you do something, of course, how can you be holy? Hence, for centuries, the holy man has been renouncing the world and escaping from the world because to be in the world and be holy seems to be impossible. My holy approach is that unless you are in the world, your holiness is no value at all. Be in the world and be holy. We have to define holiness, holiness in a totally different way. Don't live at the expense of others' pleasure. Others' pleasures. That is holiness. Don't destroy others' happiness. Help others to be happy. That is holiness. Create the climate in whichever create the climate in which everybody can have a little joy.